Good morning. My name is Tommy Allen. I'm the lead pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church, and this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. As we have been doing in the past few weeks, I'm going to read to you this morning to begin by uh, looking at Psalm 89. It's one of the readings from the Revised Common Lectionary for week number four of Advent. If you remember Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus in the past. We celebrate the fact that he will come again in the future, and we celebrate his coming into our lives even now. So hear the word of God. Psalm 89 verse 1 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I pray now that you would come and that you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my mouth and in my speaking and in my heart and in my understanding. I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would come by your spirit into our hearts even now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, this week we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and the second part of the, the birth narrative. Remember last week we looked at the beginning when the angel came to Mary and he announced to her, you know, you are the blessed, favorite of God. And, and he told her that what her child was going to be. And I, I told you, right, if you, if you ask Mary, Mary, did you know? She would say, yes, I knew. And she knew not only because what the angel told her then, but what we see today. And so let me read to you today's passage. It's a very famous one. Linus has made it very famous. Uh, and then we will begin. So hear the word of God. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Boom. So let me ask you this question. The, the, it's understandable, right? If, you, if you're familiar with Christianity, that God, basically the, you have this virgin birth by Mary. There's been an announcement to her. Joseph has had a dream. And then when it finally comes to pass, when, when everything comes together, the culmination of all this work from, from the whole Bible, for this baby to be born, the very first people to whom God announces this birth are shepherds. Wah, wah. You ever thought about that? Why shepherds? 
Why this particular group of people and not someone else? Why, like, if you, if you wanted to make a bang, why not announce to Herod? Why not announce to Caesar, right? This baby is for the whole world and Rome was in charge of the world. Why not, why not tell Caesar? And I think the answer is because the, the fact of this announcement shows you, shows us um, God's heart. It shows us the direction of his heart. So, I mean, think about this. If you've ever had a baby uh, or if you are pregnant or if you have grandchildren or even if you know someone who's had a baby, I mean, even in the, 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 the time of social media, Right. So, so if you have a grandchild or a baby, you know, everyone eventually puts pictures on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. But what do you do? Who do you really announce the baby to? Who gets the personal announcement? Who gets the phone call? Who gets the text? Who gets FaceTimed when you're right there in the hospital? It's the people who you love the most. Right. You don't you don't call every single human being you call. You go you go first to the people you love the most, and then you tell everyone else. Well, if God is like that, the people he loves the most are actually those who are the most lowly. In other words, the shepherds that we see here, they're not, they're not necessarily poor. They're just average. They're like the average Joe. They're like Scranton Joe, like Lunchbox Joe. They're, they're shepherds are the kind of, of guys who would be featured on dirty jobs. Right? They wouldn't be poor, but they would be dirty. They would not be socially acceptable, really. Eventually, rabbis banned them from synagogue. They were just, but they were just average guys. They were just guys who showed up for work in the morning and they were not particularly important at all. So that ought to give us hope because most of us are not particularly important. In fact, all of us in the big scheme are not particularly important. Important, but God's heart is for those who are on the outside. You see, shepherds were also religious outsiders. Um, they were sort of like people in a flyover country, you know, that, that no one cared about them, no one thought about them until they needed a sheep for the sacrifice, and then they went to the shepherd to get the sheep. The other reason I think that this announcement is to the shepherds is because it's just practical. It's, it's, it, they're, they're geographically close. And this announcement to the shepherds is not only, of course, for, for them, and it's not only for all of us, but it actually is crucial, I think, to Mary. And it's crucial to Mary's joy. So I love Mary, and, and I wanted to talk about her last week, and I wanted to bring things full circle this week. And so we're going to end this morning with Mary and her joy. In fact, we're going to look at three things this morning. The, the first thing we're going to look at is God's joy. Then we're going to look at our joy, and we're going to finish up with Mary's joy. So let's look first at God's joy. So it says, verse 8, and they were in the same region. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So the first thing to realize here is that this announcement is so important that God not only sends an angel, but God himself shows up for the announcement. God is so excited about this announcement 
that he has himself has shown up. Notice it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It didn't say the glory of the angel. It's, it's basically that the Lord himself is present. The angel will do the speaking, the angel will do the announcing, but God is so excited about this announcement, he wanted to be there for it. And of course, when God shows up and his glory is present, humanity withers. Right? Sinful humanity cannot stand to be in the presence of God. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when he is brought into to God's throne room and he has this great vision, then the angels are shouting, holy, holy, holy. And he says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming disintegrated, being in the presence of this glorious holy God. His weight and his glory are too much for me. However, the angel immediately steps in and says, um, to these overwhelmed shepherds. It says, the, the glory of the Lord shone around there, filled with great fear. And the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, so, so apparently the remedy to the shepherds fearing the glory of God is what the angel says next, which is fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, we tend to read that as th like this, we tend to read it as saying, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that, or good news that will cause great joy for all people. But did you notice the text didn't say that? The angel actually says, the good news is the great joy. In other words, I'm gonna bring to you, to you uh, good news of great joy. So I'm gonna tell you about this great joy and this news will be for all people. In, in other words, this joy, the, the joy that the, of which the angel speaks currently exists. He doesn't say, I'm going to tell you about news that will cause great joy. He says, I want to tell you about news of great joy right now that will, ultimately will affect all people. And the joy that currently exists, it can only be experienced right now by God and the angels. Maybe Mary and Joseph, but the, in this particular place, in this particular context, in the presence of these shepherds, there is joy. And the angels say that this great joy exists and it existed before you even know what I'm going to say because God himself is filled with joy. Now, why is God's joy good news? What is so great about the fact that God is joyful or that he is happy? And the answer is this, it's because what God rejoices to do is save. That's it. When you hear about God rejoicing, it is in generally in the context of him being able, willing and able and having saved his people. In other words, God is not distant. He's not miserly with his affections. He doesn't like sort of meter out salvation little by little to just the good kids. God rejoices to save the worst of sinners. In fact, this, this announcement, think about it. It was so important. He had to be there. Let me read you this. I think I referenced this a while back from J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. What he says about God's joy, and, and it blows my mind every time I read it. He said, God was happy without man before man was made. He would have continued happy had he simply destroyed man after man had sinned. But as it is, he has set his love upon particular sinners. And this means that by his own free voluntary choice, he will not know perfect and unmixed happiness again till he has brought every one of them to heaven. He has an effect resolved that henceforth for all eternity, his happiness shall be conditional upon ours. Thus God saves not only for his glory, but also for his gladness. 
This goes far to explain why it is that there is joy in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents, Luke 15, 10, and why there will be exceeding joy when God sets us faultless at the last day in his own holy presence. The thought passes understanding and almost beggars belief, but there is no doubt that according to scripture, such is the love of God. God's happiness, he has made his happiness contingent upon our happiness. And the message that comes next is going to be this great source of our happiness. And because that is going to be the source of our happiness in the future, after the, the announcement, it is the source of God's happiness now. The plan that he has set into motion is happening. And he is joyful because of it. And he rejoices to save. And so the substance of God's joy is also the source of ours, right? This plan of salvation and the sending of his son to take away our sins. So let's look at our joy in verse uh, 11. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel it, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, what is the source of our joy? It's, it's really all right there in verse 11. So notice verse 11, I'll read it again. He says, For unto you this day is, is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the first thing, think about it. He says, this day, this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In other words, the waiting is over. Imagine this. Imagine how if, if tomorrow, if you're from the state of Washington at least, just tomorrow you turned on the news in the morning and you just happened to be right at the time a press conference was happening with Governor Inslee, and he just made an announcement, COVID is over. The coronavirus is over, my restrictions are lifted, and everything can be opened up, and everything will be back to normal, and no one will get sick again, and no, everyone will be healthy, and everything will be awesome. Are, are you not waiting for that day? I am. I'm waiting, you know, I'm waiting for just to, to be able to have more than five people in my house. But imagine the day had come when Inslee just says, we're done. Today is the day. That's what the angels are saying except the people here have been waiting for thousands of years that this plan that had been sort of being worked out as we've looked through the whole bible today right now in the city of david this is happening the wait for messiah is over and so they say uh, this day um unto you a savior is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord this is the only place in the whole bible where those three titles are in the same put in the same sentence savior christ and lord and so what does that mean to the shepherd that basically is this first when they heard would have heard the word savior um it's the same word like in the old testament that you would use for deliverer it was most often used of god who delivered people from their enemies or from their afflictions or in our case our sins right that that the the this a uh, deliverer a savior at least in the bible is one who can deliver you from your bondage who can deliver you from slavery and this savior is is no different he will deliver us from our bondage and our slavery to sin and to death in fact um, this one who is born will become sin 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He becomes lowly so that we can be exalted. He becomes outcast so that we could become sons and daughters. He's not only a savior, he says unto, unto you, this day is born a savior who is Christ. And the word Christ there is a, it's the Greek version of Messiah. He's the, the Davidic king who will reign over you forever and grant everlasting life to anyone in his kingdom. So this child, is not only the one who will deliver you, he is not only going to be king over you, but the capper comes when, with the last thing he says, he says unto you, a savior is born who is Christ the Lord. That's big. Why is that big? Because what he's saying of this is that this baby who can save you, protect you with life everlasting, he can do all these things because he himself is the Lord. Remember way back in the Bible, we've been talking about God. God kept saying, I will come to save you. I will come to save you. He has come to save in the person of this child. He has come uh, in and of himself to save and he rejoices to do it. The last thing that we shouldn't skip over in this particular verse, and because you don't want to miss this, he doesn't just say, for this day is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, unto you is born or for you is born. That this Savior, this Christ, this Lord has come, not just generally speaking, but he has come for you to deliver you from your sin. And so when he's talking to the shepherds, shepherds, that means you. And when he's talking to the worst of sinners, that means you. When he's talking to people who think you've done things that are unforgivable, and you say, oh, if you knew how bad my sins were, you, could, you wouldn't say that. He came for you. Those of you who, who have done dark deeds or who are hiding great darkness inside of you, who struggle with things, you too, all of you, anyone. If you're watching this, if you're within the sound of my hearing, if you are but born of a woman, remember last week Charles Spurgeon said, I have hope for you because Christ came to save sinners. That's it. So this child came to save sinners. And notice when he says unto you, let me read it again. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, the worst of sinners, the darkest of sinners, anybody. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown, <laughs> right? It's not just about the lights and it's not just about the trees. It's about this savior who is Christ the Lord, who has been born for you. Notice verse 12, it says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, this is always interesting to me because I don't think the sign was so that they could find out which baby was which. In other words, Bethlehem was tiny. It wasn't as if the shepherds would show up in a place like New York City where there's thousands of babies and they're like, all right, Bob, I'm going to hit this hospital and you hit that hospital. And as soon as you find a baby with swaddling clothes, send me a text and we'll come and meet you there. I mean, you're talking of a town of maybe 50 or 60 people with a new couple that had just had a baby. And so this, they would not have had a hard time finding them. And the other thing is swaddling clothes or cloths is what every baby back then would be wrapped in and every baby in a small town like that would probably have been laid in a manger i mean think about it. a manger looks exactly like a crib 
And so what is the point of the sign? The point of the sign was not so they could so they could tell which baby was the savior, but so that they could tell what kind of savior the baby was. In, in other words, they find the baby in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and they realize that this child and his poor family can completely identify with them. He is the people's savior, if you were. He wasn't born in the palace. He wasn't born in Rome. He was born in a barn among the lowest of the low. And he is wrapped like their children would have wrapped, and he was sleeping like their children would have been sleeping. And that would have been amazing. This baby, this savior, the one that the angel had just told them about, who is the savior, who is Christ the Lord, is going to be like you. He will save you because he will identify with you. I think it also created the expectation that they would go. Why would the angel say, here's a sign, unless he expected that they were going to actually go check it out? And I love verse 13 because it says, And suddenly <laughs> there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the, the language there lends itself to saying, it's sort of like this was a special group of angels. It wasn't every angel that was in heaven. It, there, there was a, a, a multitude of them, of the heavenly host, was a part of the heavenly host. And I like to think of this as sort of heaven's glee club. And imagine these angels who have been singing around the throne of God, practicing for eternity, practicing for this moment. And God finally says, get your stuff and get on the bus. We're going to Bethlehem. And the angel announces what is going to happen, that he gives them the sign, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. And, and the force of the language here is that just as soon as the angel finished saying that, this outburst of music came from heaven's glee club. These angels that apparently it was their task, they were, they were tasked with singing on this day at this moment. And the song they sang was glory to God in the highest, that, that what, what you see happening to you right now is a manifestation of God's greatest glory. And what that ultimately means for you is shalom. And on earth is peace or shalom among those with whom he is pleased. That this is the child who will make things the way they are supposed to be. As much as you feel out of sorts right now, if you want to, to get back into sorts, this is the place, this stable, this manger right now is where it is all happening. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to men. And I think another way to put it is the hymn that, that we sing often at Christmas time, right? Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That what is happening at Christmas time is not just joy. It's not just this odd birth of this. We tend to think, gosh, Mary and Joseph, they went through much and then the baby's born and he's just surrounded by light. And it's like, oh, that's not the big story here. The big story here is that God and sinners are reconciled. And you notice um, that this shepherd's response leads ultimately to Mary's joy. The shepherd, how do the shepherds respond to this as we consider Mary's joy? Notice verse 15. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them 
concerning the child. Now think about this. They, the angels are finished. And the first thing the shepherds comes to their mind is we have to go see this, right? This is the greatest news in the world. We have to go check this out. And they were, they estimate they might've been about two miles away from Bethlehem at the time in a place called Shepherd's Field. They said, let us go over to, to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known. They went with haste. They ran. They found Mary, Joseph, baby lying in a manger. And notice what they did. It doesn't say that they told them about the, the angels and they told them about the heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest. They might have done that. But what Luke wants us to know specifically in verse 17, when they saw it, they made known, known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they didn't just go and tell this great, fantastical story, which I imagine they did, but they also said that this child, what the angel said is this child right here, the one that you're seeing laying before you in the crib, this one, today he has been born as Savior. He is the one who's going to deliver us. He is the Christ. He is the great Davidic King that we've waited for our whole lives, that our whole forefathers waited for their whole lives, and he is the Lord, so that they can't help. They tell them. These, these are not just events that we saw, but, but the angel told us exactly who this kid is. Amazing. What's even more amazing is the two responses to the child. There are two responses, and they're put back to back, I think, for a reason. Notice the first response to, to that, the shepherd's message. It says in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered, or I think a better translation is marveled. All who heard it marveled at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, what's the difference between those two responses? So imagine there, there are people there, right? There, there are people probably in the house where they were. Um, and the, the, so people are there. The shepherds come. They tell this fantastic story. They say who this kid is. And it says that people marveled at what the shepherds told them. In other words, that their response was something like this, be like, wow, what a great story. That's, that's, that's amazing that that all happened. But then when it's over, they move on to the next thing. That's what that kind of response is. It's sort of like, um, this is how most of us, frankly, approach Christmas, right? Especially if you're not a Christian. Um, you know, people get into Christmas and it's like, wow, Christmas. And they put up the lights and they put up a tree and everything is, um, you know, lights and joy and presents and your family gets to come and it's awesome and all this great food and then on December 26 you just kick the tree to the curb you know you walk down your street and you see all the dead trees on the curb and that's it there's no more joy there's no really like happiness there's no more great food it's just over it was great but now let's move on you see the the problem the reason that happens is, or if that happens, it's because you haven't been changed by Christmas. Because if you've been changed by Christmas, you become like Scrooge at the end of the Christmas Carol, right? After the last ghost of leaves. And Scrooge can't believe he's been given another shot. He can't believe that he has been redeemed. Remember, he says, I will celebrate Christmas all through the year. In other words, because Scrooge has been changed by Christmas, he can't help but celebrate it all through the year. 
that you're always celebrating the fact that God and sinners are reconciled. When is that not a time for celebration? When is that not a time for joy? Mary's response is different. Mary's response is one who has been changed by Christmas. Notice what it says. It says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So think about it this way. Mary and Joseph, she had this great announcement and this vision of an angel. Joseph had a dream from an angel saying, you know, you must have this child and you must call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then they waited nine months and they waited nine months as Mary became more and more pregnant and Joseph wasn't divorcing her. And so not only would it have been scandals for her to be pregnant, but it would have been scandalous for him not to divorce her because not divorcing her, people would have whispered, if not said to his face, and assumed that he was the father of the baby out of wedlock. And yet he, he took care of Mary. And so for nine months, they've just been wondering and waiting, is this all really true? Were we crazy? Um, you, you know, they had to have had their doubts. And yet, um, imagine their joy. When they finally, she's finally had the baby and they're wondering, okay, what now? What does this mean? And suddenly this group of shepherds barges in and they tell her that angels just showed up to us and they sung glory to God. And one of the angels told us that this child is the savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the exact same thing, basically, that Gabriel told Mary at the beginning of this whole story, that your child will be the savior, this Davidic king. And so Mary's response, I mean, I bet her first response was, whew, so I'm not crazy. Okay, that's awesome. Her second response had to have been, it's all true. Imagine looking at Joseph, just like big doe eyes. It's true. Like these shepherds came and their announcement to all these people that, that sort of reacted with marvel, okay. But to Mary, it was everything because it authenticated and confirmed what she had already trusted in, what she had already believed to be true. Now she could move forward in it. Now she could grow deeper in it. Now she could ponder it and wonder what now it's like this to try and uh, I'll, I'll finish with this. Basically, think of it this way. Um, if you've ever listened to me for long, you know, I actually, I believe there's a Bigfoot. True, true story. Um, and so imagine that you, that you, that I'm at a, at a Starbucks with someone who does not believe in Bigfoot. In fact, they're adamantly opposed to any kind of belief in Bigfoot. They, they just don't believe it. And so, and then the third person comes in and the third person comes in and, and he tells this fantastical story about having seen a Bigfoot. And he gives very specific details and it's amazing. And the response, I promise you, of both of us, me, the believer, and the unbeliever would be, wow, that's an amazing story. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Now, the unbeliever, after that, he would just walk away. Like he, he, he would have been maybe enjoyed the story, maybe enjoyed the interaction. Well, that was great. You know, good, good to talk about it, but he'd walk away. What would I do? I'd say, can you tell me more? Tell me more. You know, I've met 
two people in my life who have claimed to have seen Bigfoot and they don't go pronouncing it. But when they find out that someone believes, they are more than happy to tell you. And if you are a believer, it confirms you and your belief, right? And it, so it just makes me twice the son of hell as I was before. What's the point of all this? It's this, is that when Mary heard the shepherds telling the story of her child, that the angel told her about her child, her faith was strengthened. When we hear the story of the Savior's birth from Mary and then again through the shepherds, our faith should be strengthened as well. Think about that. Let me finish by reading to us, to you, the last part of this story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It says this, it's picking up on the shepherds getting there. And it says, they caught their breath, then quietly they tiptoed inside, they knelt on the dirt floor, they had heard about this promised child, and now he was here, heaven's son, the maker of stars, a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. This baby would be like that bright star shining in the sky that night, a light to light up the whole world, chasing away darkness, helping people to see. And the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. Amen and amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would simply uh, come and you would shine the light of Christ in our hearts. For those of us who are feeling dark and depressed and, and, and just ready to be finished with things, I pray that you would give us joy. In fact, I pray that you give us joy unspeakable. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. At this point in the service, typically, uh, we would have a doxology and we would take an offering, an offertory, and we will begin those kinds of things on in January. Starting in January, we will be going to public worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and we will be following the rules and regulations, of course, set out by our state. And on Christmas Eve, we will be also having public worship at 6 p.m. and we will be doing virtual worship as well. And even in January and on Christmas Eve, we will do virtual both because we realize that just because the church is opening up, some people aren't always comfortable with that. Some people may never be comfortable with that. I selfishly hope to see you on Christmas Eve and I selfishly hope to see you every Sunday in January <laughs> right after this. So I thought I would close this morning with a profession of faith coming from the Westminster Larger Catechism question 46. And the question says this, it says, how was Christ humiliated? Answer. For our sakes, Christ emptied himself of his own glory and took the form of a servant. So was humiliated in all the poor circumstances involving his conception and birth, life on earth, death, and after his death until he was resurrection. Number 47. How did Christ humble himself in his conception and birth? Answer. Christ humbled himself in his conception and birth in that being from all eternity, the Son of God, in the bosom of the Father. It pleased him in the fullness of time to become the Son of Man, born of a woman from a poor family and into, condition, into conditions that were even worse than ordinary. Think about that as you're going through this week. Whether or not I see you on Christmas Eve, I pray that you have a great Christmas day with your family. And I send you from this place with these words, reminding you that the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is a mighty and victorious warrior. The Lord your God will quiet you in his love. And the Lord your God shouts over you with great shouts of joy. Leave this virtual place at that knowledge. Amen and amen.